Hello, everybody. We have a book coming out. It's called Stuff You Should Know, colon, An Incomplete Compendium of Mostly Interesting Things, and you can pre-order it now. That's right. It would mean a lot if you supported this book. You're going to love it. It's really great. It looks great. It smells great. It reads great. And how about this? Why don't you support indie bookstores by going to IndieBound.org? Or even better, why don't you support black-owned businesses? Because we set up a little link, bit.ly slash S-Y-S-K-B-L-M. And order a book from those fine folks, why don't you? That's right. So Stuff You Should Know, colon, an incomplete compendium of mostly interesting things is coming soon to change your life forever for the better. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant right there, and Jerry's other somewhere. And this is Stuff You Should Know, the Fold and Tuck edition. So Jerry's in her office now. Yep. I'm in the Stuff You Should Know studio. That's right. I'm you're in Florida. At, you're at your home studio, or a home studio. Right. You got like eight of them. <laughs> right. You're, you're like Elvis. Like, right. Which room is closest to me, baby? I'll just go in there. <laughs> Where are we recording from today, man? Uh, and now Jerry is, is like a ghost in, haunting the computer in here, recording it remotely. Right. She's like... It's um, amazing. Uh, what's that? Yeah, she's she's like a ghost. You said it best. And she just texted me two minutes in and said, your levels are good. So That's great. <laughs> Go back to sleep, Jerry. Sounds about right. <laughs> so I was talking to Jerry earlier, and she just reminded me. We're talking origami today. She just reminded me that um, on my first trip to Japan, I brought her back a, a paper origami crane oh. and that she still has it. And I was thinking about that trip, Chuck, because on that trip, Yumi took me to Japan Remember um, when you guys liked each other, you and Jerry? Yeah. <laughs> we still do. It's that crane that's keeping us friends. That's right. Um, but on that trip, uh, one of the places Yumi took me was uh, Hiroshima, right? Sure. And it is one of the neatest places I've ever been. I know I've talked about it before. But one of the things that you'll see there are just mounds and mounds of origami cranes. Yeah. Um, like cranes, like the bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically the quintessential origami model. Not like, not like building cranes? <laughs> That's not what they're folding? <laughs> you never can tell these days, you know. Bob the Builder had a pretty good run for a while there, so it could have been. That's true. But apparently um, one of the reasons you see those cranes is because there was a little girl from Hiroshima named Sadako Sasaki. Oh, man, the story. Yeah, I know. It's very sad. So she was, I think, two when um, the uh, the U.S. dropped the nuclear bomb on Hiroshima. And she was exposed to radiation at that tender young age and developed leukemia. And she died at age 12. But before she died, she started this project of folding a thousand paper cranes for in origami, which was kind of this long-standing thing that was associated with, like, good luck or honor or dignity. Um, and hers was that if you, she, there's another one that if you complete a thousand cranes, um, it, you you have a wish. And so this little girl, Sadako Sasaki, her wish was for world peace, but she died before she could complete the cranes, mm-hmm. the thousand cranes. And that is upsetting. But if to end it on a more heartwarming note, uh, her classmates got together and folded the remaining cranes in her honor, yeah. and they were buried with her, which is at least a slightly uplifting ending. Right. Um, so when you go to Hiroshima today um, at this peace memorial that they've built, 
like a whole section of the city where the bomb went off has just been turned into this anti-nuclear, anti-war peace memorial. Um, there's just tons of cranes that were created by school children, kind of in honor of Sadako Sasaki and for this wish for world peace. And if you stepped out of the studio and followed me into the living room, you would see a thousand paper cranes that Yumi folded just for me, too. You know who here at work has done that? Who? Guess. You. No, no. Which which one of your colleagues do you think would do this? I don't know, man. I honestly don't know. There's so many varied, complex, rich people <laughs> that we work with that I can't even begin to guess. I, I'm going to hazard a guess and say Ben. Uh, I could see Ben doing that. What about the other Ben? <laughs> uh, probably not. Okay. <laughs> uh, Pam, Peacock. Oh, okay, yeah. Makes sense, huh? Our graphic designer. Uh, who is an artist, obviously, and um, I asked Pam, actually, if I could read her Facebook post when she completed it because I think this is instructive on uh, – and and you tell me whether it jibes with Yumi's experience. Okay. Because uh, it sort of is instructive on the art of origami, and it's more than just folding paper. It is meditative and it can be relaxing and mm-hmm. healing and all all those things. So Pam posted a photo of the final project. And said, this is what a thousand uh, origami cranes looks like and a pile on my coffee table. <laughs> Tonight I met the goal on August 2nd, 2018 to fold a thousand cranes within one year's time. Uh, there were several reasons I wanted to take on the challenge. The meditative quality of fort- uh, folding origami. Mm-hmm. To practice dexterity and fine motor skills. The fun and making a flat piece of paper into something dimensional and new. Uh, to make a whole bunch of something, there's a certain satisfaction in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the biggest reason was to cultivate more discipline within myself to uh, commit to a long-term ongoing project and see it through to completion is a big deal for me. Uh, And she goes on to say she has a a pretty long history about getting pumped up about a project and then abandoning it. And she found with two months left, she only had, uh, I'm sorry, she had 500 left to go. (laughs) So it took her 10 months. Well, I think she just took some time off. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's how you're supposed to do it. You're not supposed to just sit there and do it in one fell swoop, but kind of misses a bunch of the point, you know? Yeah, she said that she went several months without it, realized she had a couple of months and the clock was ticking. Mm-hmm. And she said, I made the decision to recommit and push myself instead of letting it go. Mm-hmm. Like so many other things, uh, I know I'll still struggle with those issues, but as an exercise growth, I feel like I've leveled up a bit and continue applying these strength and skills to my art, personal and professional lives. Very nice. And she's like, and check out my finger muscles. <laughs> that too. They're ripped. Yeah, Yumi's middle name is stick so uh-huh. I don't think she benefited in that sense, but there's definitely like a meditative aspect to it. And like it, when she was doing it for me, it was like, I thought it was very sweet. And then the more I learned about it, the sweeter I realized how, you know, it was. It's a, I mean, to do that for somebody uh, is pretty cool. And to do it for yourself too, like Pam did, is pretty neat as well. I think it was also for Yumi. She, uh, yeah, probably. You know? Um, Yeah, I'm sure she got a tremendous amount out of it, too, you know? But it was one of those things where she would just kind of work on it when she felt like it. You know, there wasn't any rush or anything like that. So it did have, like, kind of a meditative thing for her, for sure. I used to think uh, stick-to-itiveness was a weird middle name, but when I saw it written down, Uh like in the 
context of her name, it just, I don't know, it looked great. <laughs> You're like, I've been pronouncing that Alice all these years. <laughs> that was so weird. <laughs> so Pam said something that um, I, I saw other people mention, too, about origami, is that it's transformative. Like, she's taking a piece of paper and transforming it into something. Yeah. And there's this really amazing, it's, so there's a definite zen quality to origami paper folding, right? And there's a documentary out there called um, Between the Folds. And it's, of course, of course, a PBS documentary. Um, but it has this kind of zen vibe to it, too. It's really, really mellow and low-key. But some of the stuff they're talking about and showing in there is just nuts. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about it from time to time. But there's this one guy in there named Michael LaFosse. And he describes origami as... Um, a, a metamorphic type of art where like with painting you're adding paint so it's an additive kind of art with you know sculpting from like marble it's a subtractive art mm -hmm. with f paper folding and origami you're you're taking the same thing and it's the same thing that that um is the finished product. You're not adding to it or subtracting to it. It's still just a piece of paper, mm -hmm. but you're transforming it into something else. And that is kind of the, the essence of origami itself. Yeah, this one was one that I was so sure that we had done it before because it's just smacks of stuff you should know. Yep. Uh, we'd love to cover Japanese topics, first of all, but I, I don't know. It just felt like surely we've done this. And I had to look. I looked probably five different ways just to make sure that we hadn't done it. You're like, what kind of smart way would we title this? And Well, that's what I thought. That was my fear was that it would be like called Folding Madness or something stupid like that. Did you search Folding Madness? <laughs> no. I just made that up. But <laughs> What if that's the one that we already released this under? <laughs> it did seem really familiar, but I think I'm probably just thinking uh, about Bonsai maybe, mm -hmm. um, which I think is similar in a way, and not just because they're both – Japanese disciplines, but I feel like the meditative quality and the the care and the precision and the uh, spiritual aspect, I think they have a lot of overlap there. One of the big differences, though, is that um, the uh, that origami doesn't involve plant torture like bonsai <laughs> does. Well, and bonsai doesn't, uh, there's no paper torture involved, so. That's true. That's true. So, um, when we talk about origami, we're actually talking about this is that is technically a subset of this larger thing that actually grew out of origami and ended up forming this kind of umbrella art form called paper folding, appropriately enough. But origami, everybody kind of associates that with Japan. And the weird thing is, is when we talk about origami, um, which, by the way, we haven't really said it, but it's taking usually <laughs> one sheet of paper and folding it in certain ways so that, so that it... it it becomes some other re representation of something else or a shape or something other than that. But the point of origami is that it this this shape or this new represent representation of like an animal or a person or something, it's all made just by a single sheet of paper typically and folding that paper. That's the whole key. Yeah, and one of the other keys is is that you're not gluing things, you're not cutting things. It's really just folding. And it can be... Very basic. Uh, I, I tried my hand at it today just to make some very basic things. Mm -hmm. And I definitely get the um, I get the meditative aspect, although I was just doing it to try and do something sort of quickly for work and not in the style that you would normally do origami. Sure. I could see how if you 
apply that at your house, put on some good music, maybe turn the lights down a little bit, mm-hmm. shut the door, keep keep your family far, far away, <laughs> and your animals far, far away. Sure. I, I could see how it could accomplish that goal for me. I might start doing it some. Hadn't thought about keeping the family far, far away because Yumi was, when she was folding that thousand cranes, I'd be like, what number are you on now? What number are you on now? Every yeah. time she folded <laughs> she, a new one. Yeah. I think well, she probably was just an autopilot what you a- doing? answering you. <laughs> what you doing over there? Is this yeah. a crane too? Are you making another crane? <laughs> Boy, I would, I would <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would drive me nuts. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, we, we should probably go over a few of the terms. Um, the term itself, origami, they say comes from uh, oru, which means to fold. Pretty pretty smart. Mm-hmm. And then kami, which is paper. So orukami apparently was the or, or original term for it. And it's kind of, I guess, just became origami, which as far as I could see, does is actually not, it's not actually a word. It's kind of an offshoot of oru and kami. Yeah, and if you go to, uh, I mean, you can make origami out of anything. They they talk about sticky notes and just copy paper, but uh, you can actually buy kami, uh, K-A-M-I, online if you want, or go into an art store these days. It might not be so easy to go into a store, but um, that's what it might be called. There are other kinds of paper that we'll talk about later, but uh, paper is what you need if you want to be a paper folder. Mm-hmm. You don't need a bunch of other stuff, which is a very lo-fi art form. It's super cool in that way. And what you end up with is called a model. Um, I guess you could call it a, an art piece or something if you're a little high flutin, but they're really <laughs> just called models. Yes, that's any any finished origami product is called the model. There's also so this article says you need two things for origami. You need a sheet of paper and some imagination. But I would I would beg to differ. You don't even need imagination because there's so many what are called origami designs out there that are basically step-by-step illustrations of the different folds you need to make. So if you want to say make a origami donkey, you as long as you have the paper in one of these designs, you don't have to have any imagination whatsoever. Yeah, and when I was first reading this too, I thought, well, you need paper and fingers, but I realized that was quite ableist, actually. Boo! Because there is actually a style of origami uh, from a British man named John Smith in the late 70s called Pure Land or Pure Mm -hmm. Origami Mm -hmm. that is very basic and was created in part so people who had some sort of physical impairment could still uh, realize the joy and the meditative qualities of folding paper. I saw that, too. That was the one that appeals to me the most because it's so simple. Yeah, same here. Um, also, Chuck, did you know that the world's greatest archer is um, was born with no arms? I think we talked about that, right? I don't know. On the Olympic torch it? thing? No? No, definitely not. No, because I just saw it this past Sunday, so oh, okay. it's not possible we did. You you just had a memory from the future. It's <laughs> pretty impressive. I'm in the Christopher Nolan movie. So... I can't wait, but I have to say, man, I am very disappointed to see movies starting to come out on the the trailer saying only in theaters. I'm like, I didn't realize we were at that point again yet. Well, I mean, his new movie, Tenet, is one of the, it was one of the big ones back in the early spring when they were like, he's going to put it out in theaters, even if he has to bump it a month or two, like Mm -hmm. he's not going to do an at-home thing. He's not going to wait till next year. Yeah. And uh, I think they're doing like, Pretty big-time spacing and stuff, but I ain't going to a movie theater. No. And it's one of my favorite places to go. I know. Like we talked about the other day in sneezing, 
um, how it's just so great to go see a movie in the middle of the day, you know? Yeah. Can you imagine seeing a movie now and you hear someone sneeze? <laughs> oh I would goodness. be out of there so fast. <laughs> I, I w- I'd just start crying on the way to the movie theater. <laughs> I would not be at all comfortable about that right now. So I think if – actually, I think we should probably take a break. We've been yammering for 15 minutes. Well, no, we've been to for, through the first two paragraphs. So we'll come back after this and we'll talk about paper, very key to origami, right after this. I teased paper. <laughs> you did. Paper, paper doesn't <laughs> like to be teased. <laughs> paper did not like that. Uh, I thought about you earlier, by the way. Sidebar, I was watching uh, some old Mitch Hedberg stuff, and I oh, immediately yeah. was like, oh, man, Josh would love these. Somebody wrote in to say, you guys, have you heard about, what was it? Did, was it based on a listener mail? No, I don't know how. I think it was just in my feed on my Facebook page, and just, I don't know, it popped up. It was so good. His joke gotcha. about the belt and the belt loops. <laughs> I don't know about that one. What is it? The belt is holding up the pants, but the belt loops hold up the belt. Who's the real hero here? <laughs> <laughs> that guy was priceless. Man. So good. Yeah. So uh, paper is what you're going to need if you want to practice origami. And China invented paper in about 105 AD, but it was a luxury item. They weren't so much into folding it or at least into artwork. Um, they might have folded letters, or maybe they just scrolled at that point. I saw that they folded stuff into, like, gold, paper gold nuggets and then set them on fire as offering, offerings okay. to, to uh, ancestors. That's so maybe the, pre-proto-origami. Yes, definitely proto. But uh, in the 6th century, Buddhist monks introduced paper to Japan. It was pretty rare uh, and expensive here as well and was used for, you know, special occasions and stuff like that. But as paper get, got a little more ubiquitous, then they decided that they could start folding it in interesting ways, and it wasn't a waste. Right. And um, it was affordable, I guess. Yeah. As it became more affordable, folding became a lot more widespread. And as it became more widespread, people started doing kind of interesting things with it. Um, like you were saying, at first it was just kind of reserved for special occasions like weddings or um, there's one called the Slade, no, Shide, S-H-I-D-E. I was thinking of Charday. Mm. Um, and it's like a zigzag pattern that they use to kind of denote like um, like uh, religious places or altars or something like that. And then somebody said, well, wait, you can make a frog out of this. Check this out. Mm-hmm. And I think origami kind of took off. And that's, that's how it stayed, um, at least in Japan, for several centuries where it was – they knew how to make a kite. They knew how to make a box. Yeah. They knew how to make uh, cranes. Cranes were huge. Sure. Um, and in fact, one of the first books on origami was called Folding 1,000 Cranes. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Samba Zuru Orikata. Um, a thousand crane folding. So that was a big deal already all, all the way back in the 18th century. But um, finally in the... I believe the 1930s, I think around 1937, there was a guy um, whose name was Akira Yoshizawa. 
And you cannot talk about origami or paper folding or paper or folding or Japan or shoes <laughs> without mentioning Akira Yoshizawa. <laughs> this guy was this he was he single-handedly took what it was a centuries-old school children's craft by this time, by the 1930s rolled around that had been static for centuries, and said, I'm going to turn this into an art form, and he did. Yeah, big time. And by this point, it was uh, widely referred to as origami. I think in the late eight, I'm sorry, late 1700s, it was still called orikata, mm-hmm. and that was from that, uh, that book about the thousand cranes. But by this time, it was origami, and he was a laborer for most of his life, and he was a hobbyist as far as origami went. Uh, but he started writing out these diagrams and basically sort of these how-tos. And if you've ever looked at an origami book or, or something online, you know, they, if you don't know how to do it, there's these very simple, depending on the, the ultimate model that you want to end up with, uh, these diagrams that you can just follow along these lines and fold and just kind of copy what you're seeing. And he was the first person to do this and eventually publish these mm-hmm. in the 1950s in books and uh, it was a really big deal. Like, it was already a popular thing in Japan. Um, previous to that, it was actually in Spain and some other parts of Europe, thanks to the Silk Road. But it really sort of popularized it worldwide, I think, after his book. Yeah, well, even before then, I think there was a, a magazine that celebrated, like, the new year by commissioning him to do, like, the 12 signs of the Zodiac in origami. Uh-huh. And they, they put it on their cover. And so you can imagine for Japan— everything that had to do with origami was like, look at this kite that our kid made and now it's hanging on our refrigerator Mm -hmm. um, to the 12 signs of the Zodiac. And these things actually look kind of like a monkey and the fox looks amazing. And um, it's just what this guy did just completely blew everybody away. And very shortly after that, he devised that system, started having exhibitions around the world and became like this, this revered master of origami, like the first true origami artist, the one who said you can make an art form out of this. Mm -hmm. And he decided to live like this kind of um, uh, poverty, I don't want to say poverty stricken, but he Poverty adjacent? Poverty adjacent life. Very nice, Chuck. Where he supported himself selling soup door to door. Mm -hmm. Um, He sold something called... um, Sukudani, which is like a kind of a seaweed uh, condiment that you put on rice. He'd sold sold that door-to-door. And he just made enough money to support his habit of um, origami. That's what all he wanted to do. But what's amazing about him is he was like the preeminent origami artist for decades. He made at least 50,000 different models um, it's and amazing he never, stuff, he, too. He, he, it is. Just look him up right now, Akira yeah. Yoshizawa. Um and he never sold a single one of them. He would lend them out for exhibitions. He would give them as gifts, but he never made a dime off of his origami. Yeah, and he's one of those that whose reputation reached a point where he literally could have gotten rich mm-hmm. selling his his models in the end. Oh, yeah, for sure. But that's just, he just wasn't about that. I love it. Very yeah. cool. Very, uh, like, very origami-esque. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> he's like, I'm not going to sell this stuff. No. That's not the point. And they were like, <laughs> what about 10 grand for that rhinoceros? <laughs> he's right? like, uh, meet, me in the back room. <laughs> meet me in the back room. <laughs> Some of those animals, I mean, not just from him, but when you look up, you know, kind of the, the most amazing origami, and uh, and there are a lot of animals, and we'll talk about that, but it's uh, it's really just astounding. It is astounding. One of the ways that he was able to take origami from a kite, and I know I keep going back to a kite, but, 
you know. Well, that's, that's one of the base forms. Kind of where it was at. Um, taking it from a kite to, a, like, he very famously made this um, this gorilla. Uh, I think it's a gorilla um, that <laughs> you almost always see in the background behind him. It's a, it's a, it must not have been very good. <laughs> it's an ape. of. It's either a gorilla oh, or, okay. or, or a Tyrannosaurus rex. I thought you'd be like, yeah, it's either gorilla or a car. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but when he makes something, you can, you know exactly what it is. Um, but one of the things about his particular kind of art was that it wasn't like every single detail is captured. People have taken it to that. Paper folders have gotten to the point where it's like um, that guy, Michael LaFosse, yeah. cre- created a, a huge, easily two-foot alligator, which <laughs> is almost several meters at least by my estimation, um, out of a single piece of paper. Um, and it has all of, like, the armor, the scaly armor involved. Like, there's a lot of detail. That's not what um, Yoshizawa was into. His was much more expressive and yeah. um, almost um, impressionistic. But you knew exactly what it was when you looked at it. And he was able to do this through a technique that he created called wet folding. Yeah, and wet folding is how you can round things out. Um, you're obviously wetting the paper and that's how, or, you know, dampening at least, you don't want to get it too wet. And you can manipulate it a little more, and you can round things out and make it look a little more like a sculpture. Um, but I really liked his style. It wasn't yeah, me too. because it didn't seem like, uh, boy, I'm out to wow you and impress you with um, just something that's so detailed that it'll blow your mind. They were detailed, but it wasn't like that other guy that you were talking about. Michael LaFosse. Yeah, which is, you know, they're both great, but it just seemed a little more intuitive and organic uh, in in terms of what uh, Yoshizawa was doing, I think. Yeah, his technique screams, oh, you like that? Not for sale. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of my kitchen. <laughs> right. And why were you here in the first place? Exactly. And they're like, I work for Time Magazine. <laughs> but but help yourself to some soup that I sell door to door. Exactly. <laughs> so um, I guess we should talk about you know, if somebody has, if someone's listening to this, interest has been piqued and wants to know how to, how to fold them, um, we should teach people. I think, Chuck. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll tell you the basics at least. Um, there are, you know, many, many, many types of folds. But you mentioned the kite base or the kite <laughs> fold, and I said that's one of the basics, and it is. There, you can oftentimes start from a base, mm-hmm. which is just sort of your starting shape. Um, that's your your point where you start and then get more detailed from there. And there is uh, the kite base, the fish base, the bird base, and the frog base. And those are listed in order of uh, difficulty from easy to hard. There's a really great site called Paper Kawaii. It's, it's spelled like Hawaii, but with a K. It means cute in Japanese. Mm-hmm. And the the person who runs that site has made a huge depository of resources and um, instructional videos and uh, diagrams and everything you could possibly want. But um, she says that there's 12 bases, or at least she instructs you on making 12 bases. So it gets even richer than those four. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I got the the picture that that was the four most basic original bases, and gotcha. I, I was I was probably sure that there were more. So um, there's some that there's some types of models that tend to pop up more often than others, and animals are frequently created. Um, and like I was saying, like it's not it's not necessarily you're like you're going for ultra realism. It's, it'd be impossible to make it ultra real um, because I don't know if we've said this yet. Like you're not supposed to use like um, scissors, 
or glue or tape or anything like that. Um, and some people still use scissors every once in a while, but definitely you don't use glue or tape. That's not what's holding these together. These models are held entirely from f different types of folds that you learn from doing origami. Like it's not just fold this direction, fold that direction. There's like reverse folds, there's sinks. There's all sorts of different and interesting stuff you can do to make the paper take a certain shape that you want it to, and then also to hold itself in shape permanently from that point on. That's right. And there are a lot of ways that you can uh, go about it. I would imagine that um, Yumi probably did it on like a coffee table or something maybe. Oh, no, buddy. She'd do it in her lap. Oh, okay. Well, that she is, can do it in the air. Yeah. That, I mean, that is uh, – when you're at that point, then you're pretty skilled as an origami artist. Uh, if you are just using your hands and you are not putting it on anything hard, mm -hmm. then that, that's pretty skilled. Um, but I would say a beginner should probably – use a desk or something. Oh, yeah. With a little help, maybe a clipboard if you want to do it in your lap. Uh, sometimes people will use paper clips to help really get a nice fine crease in there. Yeah, I got the impression that that's allowed. Yeah, I mean, anything's allowed. Come on. I mean, <laughs> anytime you're talking about uh, something that Japanese people do, they're not going to go in there and start screaming at you. Right, if right. You know, like to, to do it right. You may be at risk of dishonoring your ancestors, but nobody's going to judge you personally for it. Yeah, but I would imagine a paperclip too might help if you don't have fingernails, if you're a fingernail biter mm -hmm. and you just have just stubby nubs like I used to, mm -hmm. then you should uh, you should maybe get a little paperclip out. That might help you along. I've also seen um, like a wooden letter opener yeah, kind of thing. People, sure. I've seen people use that to make a really, you know, tight crease mm -hmm. or to poke a, a fold into another fold, that kind of thing. <laughs> what? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Did I accidentally get sexy or something? A couple of times. That's all right, though. Uh, poke. Oh, oh, I got you. I got you. Well, let's just keep moving along. So. Uh, <laughs> Nothing to see here. We should talk, too, about a few of the different categories of origami. Uh, there are many, many categories that you can focus on if you want to kind of drill down into a specific um, discipline. Uh, one is called modular origami, and that mm -hmm. is when you have, uh, and I would encourage people, obviously not if you're driving, but to kind of <laughs> look up pictures and follow along with a lot of these because it really drives it home and it's also beautiful to look at. Right. But modular is when you use um, different sheets of paper, but you're generally kind of making the same shape and then bringing those uh, together to form some larger piece from those same shapes. Very beautiful. It really is. And with modular, Chuck, that's one of the few types of... Um of uh, paper folding or origami that uses more than one sheet. Right. Well, what's mind-blowing about origami is when you're looking at just about any type aside from modular, despite what it looks like, it's probably just one sheet of paper. Yeah. It's just amazing. It Some is. of the stuff that people are making is just ridiculously amazing. Uh, you've got action origami, which are kind of fun because these little guys can move sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, it's going to take uh, human manipulation. They don't just move on their own. Uh, like you can't make a wind-up toy or anything like that. But <laughs> you can flap uh, a bird wings sometimes, a bird's wing, uh, or you might um, be able to make a frog that jumps. Uh, yeah, or remember the origami fortune teller, that little folded thing? That oh, you could, sure. You could learn who you're going to marry or that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. What, what, did, what was that called? The origami fortune teller from what I saw. I mean, we didn't call it that in elementary school. No, I and I, I could not was. find it. I could not find the name of it. I know what oh, you're talking gosh, about. gosh, what was it? Yeah, those were always fun. 
There's something called MASH, Mansion Apartment Shack House. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that involves paper origami, but it's a similar game. Yeah, that uh, Janet Varney plays that with her guests at the end of her JV Club episodes, the MASH game. Sure. A lot of fun. So that's different from the origami fortune teller. Yeah, it has nothing to do with paper. Yeah, you always end up married to Rob Lowe somehow if you're lucky. <laughs> well, that's called the uh, fantasy game. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. What else can you do with origami, Chuck? People make uh, origami out of dollar bills. Yeah, I see those. I used to get those occasionally. When you, If you've ever you work at a cash job, mm-hmm. like I worked at a convenience store, you're going to get some wiseacre that pays for cigarettes with a couple of cranes. <laughs> Some wiseacre. Uh, people make them out of sticky notes, yeah. like post-it notes uh, is what most people call them. From what I saw, it basically just ends up being Pikachu every time. Oh, yeah. Because it's yellow and small, so yeah. Uh, jewelry, if you uh, you can make jewelry origami. Mm-hmm. I think you can certainly buy that kind of thing on Etsy. And then one of the other styles that you see um, – or schools is uh, tessellations. Yeah, I don't know cool. if it's a if it's a school in and of itself, but it's kind of like modular origami, where it yields like kind of repeating three D patterns. Mm-hmm. But it's typically made from just one sheet folded in just not so intricate ways. Um, I saw one a three D hydrangea pattern um, on this little sheet that the person in the picture is holding. It covers about the top half of their hand. But there's, I think, at least a dozen little hydrangeas folded into it in repeating it's rows. Amazing. It's just, and then when you step back and you think that is one sheet of paper, somebody figured out how to fold perfectly. Because there's one thing that they don't tell you about origami that you figure out pretty quickly on your own. If you don't make the right folds in the right order, yeah, <laughs> you just you just screwed up. Like it's never going to look quite right. Yeah, it's hard to undo a, a good crease. I think that's where scissors come in sometimes. Yeah. I've, you know what I didn't do for this, which I usually do? I'm surprised. I'll do it later, is watch a good YouTube uh, of someone doing something pretty complex. Check out Paper Kawaii. She's she's good. And, and it's also easy to follow, too. Yeah? Does she get super detailed and stuff, or is it a little more basic? Both. It's it's basically everything you want. And then there's also, like, a lot of instructionals. <laughs> well, no, she, like, she teaches you basic, basic shapes. I don't think she gets into, like, modular. Actually, it's not true. She does have modular stuff on there. Right. She does it all, basically. Um, but she's also got a lot of stuff where, like, if you want to make a little gift box to put your gift in, she's got instructionals on how to do that. So practical stuff as well. So and you can plus, put origami in an origami box as a gift. You could, that's pretty mind-blowing. It's amazing. What's neat, though, is all of her videos are set to um, Led Zeppelin, so that adds, like, an extra layer. <laughs> Does it? Is it really? No. Oh, okay, man, I was like, that'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if it was just really out of whack with what she was making, too. That'd be great. Yeah, I was just thinking maybe, uh, well, I can't think of it now, Come from the Land of the Ice and Snow. What's that Immigrant one? song. <laughs> Immigrant song. Yeah. Doon, do, 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 do. Yeah, but none of the folding is keeping up with it. The songs has to start over, over, and over again. <laughs> uh, of course, if you're a fan of Blade Runner, you remember uh, that that has a nice um, origami motif, reoccurring motif in there with Edward James Olmos's character. I I have no idea what you're talking about. You've seen Blade Runner? Yeah, and I know the character, but what is that? Oh, does he keep making origami stuff and he leaves it behind? That's right. Okay, that's and, right. And uh, it plays a key role sort of at the end of the movie. I don't remember that. Yeah, it's good that stuff. That is a great movie, though. 
sure did you, is. Did you see the second one? Uh, well, I've seen all the versions of the first one, and uh, of course, yeah, I saw the second one. I thought the second one was really great. Yeah, it was very good. I loved it. And there's nothing that Ryan Gosling can't do. I know, right? I saw him in a hotel lobby once, and I just wanted to kiss his handsome face. Did you? No, I should have. Do you remember when we went to uh, Upfronts once, when we had our show on uh-huh. Science Channel? Yeah, yeah, and that was fun. We looked over, and there's Fred Armisen, and we waved like like we were uh-huh. peers. <laughs> And he waved back like, I don't know who you are, but hey, good to see you for the, the first time ever. The other funny thing, I don't know if you remember this on that trip, was, uh, and for people that know the upfronts is where you, if you have a TV show or something coming out the next year or quarter, is it yearly? Yeah. You gather at a place and all the press is there and you kind of just tell everyone what you're doing and they hopefully write about it. But I, we saw Michael Douglas and Matt Damon passed us walking down the sidewalk and I was like, what are those guys doing together? And like, little did I know what was coming. <laughs> Man, that was such a good movie. It was awesome. I'd like to see that again soon, actually. Yeah. It's on, uh, <laughs> if you get a free trial to HBO on Amazon Prime, I think it's on there right now. Oh, man. I got to see that. Such a good movie. Um, let's see. Technical origami, I think, is where oh, we left yeah. off. Well, yeah, we because we'd already talked about Pure Land, right? Yeah. And this technical origami, from what I could gather, is this just the worksheets that you get, sort of the how-to, or is Dude, it an actual style? It's it's kind of both. So I think the, the thing about the style is that the, the worksheets, the diagrams, mm-hmm. are not step-by-step. Step. It is a picture of the paper with every fold in it. But it's like if you went through the whole process of making this incredibly detailed, very technically precise origami shape, and then unfolded it, but left all the creases in there, and then took a picture of that, mm-hmm. that's what the diagram is. But that doesn't say which one to do first? No. Ugh. Which which I find very unnerving, because yeah, that me means too. that there are people out there who can look at that and tell how yeah, to do it, that's, just by looking at yeah, that. Yeah, that's amazing. And so in that, um, that uh, documentary, Between the Folds, this is made back in 2008, I think. But they they really kind of documented this tension between this push toward more and more technical origami and paper folding that's just pushing the limits and the boundaries of, like, what can you possibly do? Um, that it started to use, like, CAD and other computer programs to plot out, you know, what, what folds you needed to make in what order to make these really technical ones. And then... On the other side of that, pulling the other direction are the artists who are just like, I just listen to like my hands and my imagination and, you know, come up <laughs> yeah. with these new folds. And um, there's this one French artist who makes masks and kind of almost Tolkien-esque from like a 70s illustrated version of like Lord of the Rings maybe, um, like like witches and wizards and things like that. Yeah. And it's very like free form and flowing. And they're like, you know, when you get too technical, you lose like the emotion, you lose the art side of it. And then this one guy made the case, uh, his name is Long. I can't remember his first name, but he's just an amazing technical guy. And he said, you know, no, these technical people are figuring this out. They're making studies of stuff that you could eventually incorporate into larger art. So it's good that it's good to have both. Yeah, I don't think there's a wrong way. I'm pretty sure his name is David Long. Check him out. He's just up to some amazing stuff. All right. Well, let's take another break. Okay. And we're going to come back and finish up with a little bit on the kind of paper you might want to get if you want to try this out right after this.
hey, Chuck, I looked and we did not ever do an episode on paper unless we named it in a smart aleck way, too. Uh, what you're writing on? We did toilet paper. Do you want to do one on paper? Sure. All yeah, right. I think that'd be interesting. Totally. We did one on grass. We can do one on paper. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and paper, like we said, is what you want to buy if you want to start practicing origami. Mm-hmm. And kami or koi paper is if you if you're not just you know if you want to step it up from just copy paper or something like that. And you go to an art supply store. This is uh, a good place to start. It is designed for origami and paper folding. It is very crisp, very thin. Holds its shape really well, uh, very easy to fold, mm-hmm. and it stays pretty – it's pretty robust. Like after you fold it, it doesn't – you know, it stays pretty strong. Yeah. Um, that's that's like if you go to a stationery store and you look for origami paper, that's probably what you're going to get is that kami paper. Yeah, it might have a nice pattern on it, mm-hmm. uh, usually square, and you can get it in different sizes from like sticky note size to, to granddaddy size. Yeah. Um, there's there's – a there's also another kind of paper called washi um, that is this um, – it's like thicker, obviously handmade. It might still have some of the, the grains from the pulp still mashed into it. Um, and it is much harder to fold and keep like a, a tight crease in, but it's much – uh, better for using uh, when you're when you're doing like wet folding technique, which is where you I don't know if we ever said you dampen the paper. You don't get it wet, but you dampen it so that it it folds more than creases, and then it'll hold that shape as it dries too. Yeah, and it said in uh, the article, which uh, by the way came from HowStuffWorks.com, our old website, mm-hmm. um, that it's very costly. And I looked it up, and I saw some, and it, and, it, and it seems to me like you can't. Like, if you want washi, it's coming from Japan. I saw some stuff on Amazon that they call washi paper, but it is not washi. Oh, gotcha. Uh, but it's it was, wishy. Yeah, it's more wishy than washi. <laughs> All right, Dad. Um, and it was 50 bucks for a roll that was 16 inches by 32 feet, though, which is— Oh, okay. Um, like, 50 bucks is a lot of money for paper, but 32 feet is not—you know, it's, that's a lot of paper. Sure. Yeah, that's nothing to see. That's a pretty good price on washi. That's, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just turned into granddad. <laughs> yeah. Pushed up my glasses as I said that. Uh, what about the foil? That's another thing that I thought was kami, but um, they're, they're two different things. Yeah, that's, it's so often called Japanese foil. It's just paper with a foil backing on one side, and the foil comes in different colors, so it can really make your origami paper cream pop. Yeah, and you can bake cookies on it when you're done. <laughs> And you said something earlier about how um, kami might have like a pattern on one side or one color on one side and one color on another side. Um, that actually fools a lot of people into thinking that they're looking at an origami model that's made from more than one type of paper. Mm, sure. But it's actually just two-sided paper that's just still one sheet. Like just, just remember this. When you're inevitably going and looking at pictures of origami today, uh, most of that is just one big or small sheet of paper. <laughs> Uh, and the other cool thing here at the end, which I think we should mention, and this is very, very neat, is it is art, and it is a hobby, and it is zen-like, but mm-hmm. it has practical applications in the world at large. Um, like when you think about manufacturing things that need to be folded into a small space, where better to look than an origami master to say like, hey, how would you fold this airbag into this thing right. or this solar array? 
Like, how can we make this large thing small, even if only for packaging? And Yoshizawa's like, I've died. Leave me alone. <laughs> I've given up origami years like, ago. Didn't I tell you I hated money? <laughs> right. <laughs> but what about $10,000? <laughs> Is that the magic number for him? <laughs> I guess so. Everybody's got a price, even Yoshizawa. Uh, and origami is great for the classroom, uh, for younger kids to help teach mm-hmm. geometry and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, really, really good stuff. Um, I got one more sweet Yumi story um, with origami. Her her dad is in the hospital, has been for a while, and he was in ICU for a little while. And thanks to COVID, we couldn't visit and we couldn't even send flowers. Like they were super on lockdown trying to keep everything out. So um, she folded some paper flowers and sent them to him. And he had them on his bedside or at his bedside with him, which he, he said he credits 100% for helping him get well. Oh, that's amazing. And they allowed that, huh? They did. No flowers, but paper flowers is okay. Interesting. Yeah. Folded by human hands. Exactly. Very clean human hands, I can assure you. Sure. I mean, I'm glad they allowed it. That's great. So, uh, by the way, Bob, we are wishing you here at Stuff You Should Know a good and healthy recovery, and we'll see you home soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Chuck. Um, If you guys want to know more about origami, you can start looking it up. Get yourself some paper. That's another thing we said that I think we should point out. You don't have to have kami or washi or foil or anything like that. You can just you can use copy paper to start if you want. Whatever's handy. Um, just go ahead and have some fun with it. That's the point. Have some fun. Uh, and since I said have some fun, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this Sexy Sneeze. Uh, remember when we talked a little bit at the end of the sneezing episode about... Uh, sneezes being linked to uh, orgasms and, and sexual pleasure and, yes. ar- and arousal. Yes. Well, we heard from Darcy about that. Uh, she said, hey, guys, I'm an avid listener. been listening to all of your uh, episodes, and this is the first time I've ever thought I really should send them an email about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to keep it family-friendly, but in your discussion uh, during sneezing was sneezing when becoming sexually aroused. In my case, my nose becomes very runny. And I often do the my nose is running sniff thing during amorous activities. Uh, I don't always end up sneezing, but I can tell you that there's a direct link in my body from my nose to other areas. Uh, And she said the uncensored version is, I know it's been a good time when my nose starts running. Uh, Anyway, just wanted to share my experience. Keep on finding uh, stuff to talk about, and I'll keep listening. And that is from Darcy. And she did say I could read this uh, and just use her first name. Thanks a lot, Darcy. That's very brave of you. You're not even in an internet chat room and you're admitting it. <laughs> That's right. It's Way to go. Interesting stuff. It really is. Uh, if you want to be like Darcy and write in something interesting about yourself, we want to hear it. You can send it off to stuffpodcast at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 